This is CPX number 93, The First Commandment, Part 2. We are in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 114-115, question and answer numbers 13 through 22. God give you his peace, in omni patris affidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. In omni patris affidi, tu santi, amen. Also, if you can take a look at my blog, I have an Advent message to donors and benefactors. Hopefully you will like it. Kind of an explanation of what I did this whole past year. Number 13, what is a sacrilege? Answer, a sacrilege is the profanation of a place, of a person, or of a thing consecrated to God and set apart for his worship. Number 14, what is heresy? Heresy is a culpable error of the intellect by which some truth of faith is obstinately denied. Number 15. What else does the first commandment forbid? Answer, the first commandment also forbids all dealings with the devil and all association with anti-Christian groups. Number 16. If one were to have recourse to and invoke the devil, would he commit a grave sin? Answer, if one were to have recourse to and invoke the devil, he would commit an enormous sin because the devil is the most wicked enemy both of God and of man. Number 17. Is it lawful to put questions to speaking or writing tables or in any way to consult the souls of the dead by means of spiritism? Answer. All the practices of spiritism are unlawful because they are superstitious, and often they are not free from diabolical intervention, and hence they are rightly condemned by the church. Number 18. Does the first commandment forbid us to honor and invoke the angels and saints? Answer, no, it is not forbidden to honor and invoke the angels and saints. On the contrary, we should do so, because it is a good and useful practice highly commended by the church, for they are God's friends and our intercessors with him. Number 19, since Jesus Christ is our only mediator with God, why have recourse also to the intercession of the Blessed Virgin and the saints? Answer, Jesus Christ is our mediator with God because being true God and true man, he alone, in virtue of his own merits, has reconciled us to God and obtains us all graces. But in virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ and through the charity which unites them to God and us, the Blessed Virgin and the saints help us by their intercession to obtain the graces we ask. And this is one of the great benefits of the communion of saints. Number 20 May we also honor the sacred images of Jesus Christ and of the saints? Answer, yes, because the honor we give the sacred images of Jesus Christ and of the saints is referred to their very persons. Number 21, may the relics of the saints be honored? Answer, yes, we should honor the relics of the saints because their bodies were living members of Jesus Christ and temples of the Holy Ghost and will rise gloriously to eternal life. Number 22, what is the difference between the honor we give to God and the honor we give to the saints? Answer, between the honor we give to God and the honor we give to the saints, there is this difference, that we adore God because of his infinite excellence, whereas we do not adore the saints, but honor and venerate them as God's friends and our intercessors with him. The honor we give to God is called latria, that is, the worship of adoration. The honor we give to the saints is called dulia, that is, the veneration of the servants of God, while the special honor we give to the Blessed Virgin is called hyperdulia, that is, a special veneration to the Mother of God. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope.
Okay, today we're just going to look at 14 and 16 and 17. Number 14, what is heresy? Heresy is a culpable error of the intellect by which some truth of faith is obstinately denied. Okay, let's talk about this one for a while. You know, heresy is holding to or teaching the Catholic faith wrong. Now, it's not as bad as denying God. That would be apostasy. Apostasy is denying God. Very, very bad. They're both very bad. Notice that Pope St. Pius X began his definition of heresy with this, a culpable error of the intellect. That's really interesting because we moderns align ignorance with innocence. But the church fathers saw ignorance as a symptom of original sin. Ignorance was a symptom of sin, not of innocence. Let me say that again in a different way. Modernists say that ignorance proves you're innocent, but the early Christians basically held ignorance proves you're guilty. Now, I know that rubs the modernist Catholic, including myself, actually, very badly. And we can prove that from the Church Fathers, but we just don't have time for that today. However, it is enough to notice that Pope St. Pius X shows us that we can indeed have a culpable error of the intellect. Again, we modernists are not used to hearing culpable error of the intellect. Culpable means you're guilty. Now, even the new catechism of the Catholic Church delineates between invincible ignorance and vincible ignorance. Invincible ignorance basically means you don't know the Catholic faith, and it's not really your fault because, I don't know, you were born in some Amazonian tribe that's never met anyone outside their tribe for a thousand years back. Vincible ignorance, on the other hand, that means you don't know the truth, but it's because you're too lazy, basically. Me, me paraphrasing. Vincible ignorance means you don't know the truth, but it's your fault because you're too lazy to do the research. So, notice, even the New Catechism of the Catholic Church says you're guilty for that type of ignorance. But let's get back to Pope St. Pius X's definition of heresy. He says, Heresy is a culpable error of the intellect by which some truth of faith is obstinately denied. What does that word obstinately mean? Well, it generally means someone had tried to correct you on you teaching the faith wrong, but you stubbornly continue to teach error. So catch these two really important definitions. If you're going to memorize anything today, let it be the next 20 seconds. Material heresy is when you teach error. Formal heresy is when you continue to teach an error after you were found guilty of teaching it during a canonical trial in which you had the chance to recant and you didn't, and then you were declared a formal heretic. But we don't really have canonical trials anymore, and so that's why you probably shouldn't go around and say, this priest is a heretic or that bishop is a heretic. You just don't know that because we don't have canonical trials anymore. But you can say, this priest or that bishop or that layperson is teaching material heresy if, here's the thing, if you're really, really sure you're right and he's wrong. Or rather, that the Catholic faith is right and he's not teaching it. Now, we have material heresy, we have formal heresy. St. Robert Bellarmine also uses this interesting term, manifest heresy, which I believe is basically the same as extremely obvious heresy. St. Robert Bellarmine said this, quote, Therefore, the true opinion is the fifth, according to which the Pope who is manifestly a heretic ceases by himself to be Pope and head in the same way as he ceases to be a Christian and a member of the body of the Church, and for this reason he can be judged and punished by the Church, end quote. So notice here, St. Robert Bellarmine is not talking about a formal canonical trial against the Pope because nobody can try the highest office in the church. Uh, this is why I think it's obvious when St. Robert Bellarmine uses the term manifest heretic, he just means obvious. Anyway, the point is that you can say that this teaching or that teaching 
is material heresy if you're really sure. And so you can call someone like Martin Luther not only a material heretic, but also a formal heretic. Why? Because he was given the chance to repent and chose not to, hence that word obstinately, and then and only then did the church declare him a formal heretic. So you can call Martin Luther a formal heretic, but you can't call James Martin a formal heretic because he's never had a canonical trial, even though he's teaching material heresy. And I would actually go so far as to say he's teaching um, manifest heresy because it's just obvious he's teaching heresy. And I would say that obvious heresy can boldly be named as manifest heresy at this point, especially at this point in church history when, when so many heretics have so much advance and boldness in promoting every heresy under the sun. That's why Pope St. Pius X said modernism is truly the synthesis of all heresies because every heresy out there is being promoted right now. So if you're really, really sure on something you hear that is wrong, you can go ahead and say that's a material heresy. But don't go around calling people formal heretics unless you have the ability to begin a canonical trial on your own, which no one out there, including myself, has the ability to start. But here's the thing. Most importantly, don't be a heretic. Well, how hard is it to avoid heresy? It's extremely easy to avoid heresy. I wrote a blog recently called How Hard Is It to Avoid Heresy, which I will link in my show notes. But the point of my blog is it's extremely easy to avoid heresy. If you just repeat what's in the Bible and what's in the Catechism, Pope St. Pius X of the Roman Catechism, and you just repeat the saints and try to imitate them, then even a child can avoid teaching the Catholic faith wrong. It's actually a very, very easy system Jesus gave us, so don't make it more complex than it needs to be. Someone tells me they have a PhD in theology, I go running for the hills, or at least I wouldn't want anybody I love to listen to them because they have all these fantastical ideas that nobody needs to hear when our faith is so simple. Catholicism is deep. I'll, you know, I'll give it that. Catholicism is deep, but it's very, very simple. So don't doubt yourself if, for example, the Holy Spirit calls to mind something you need to say to somebody. If you're well-formed, go ahead and say it. I can guarantee you with 99% surety, if you're listening to this podcast, you are not a heretic, and I'm 99% sure you're well-formed. How do I know that? Well, it's not because I'm so great, but because, because I'm reading you the words of an old-school canonized pope and what he put in a catechism from the deposit of the faith that had been handed on to him. So you just can't go wrong with that formation. So I guess it's funny that I've become controversial for teaching what the church taught for over 1,900 years. I'm not sure why that's controversial. Only in a time of heresy would that be controversial. Okay, let's look at number 16. If one were to have recourse to and invoke the devil, would he commit a grave sin? Answer, if one were to have recourse to and invoke the devil, he would commit an enormous sin because the devil is the most wicked enemy, both of God and of man. A little commentary of my own here. You know, the podcast I still get the most feedback on was Zachary King. This was the guy who did 150 abortions before he was even 18. And then he was recruited by the World Church of Satan and became not a satanic priest. Those are a dime a dozen, unfortunately, but actually a satanic wizard. That is big time. A lot of people claim to be satanic priests, but as far as wizards of the World Church of Satan, there's never less than two, never more than ten. Uh, the stories he told me off the air that we didn't put up, he basically had X-Men powers. Um, but then he has this huge conversion, and now he's a good traditional Catholic who prays a lot for the end of abortion. First of all, this shows the mercy of God, that a guy who's lived a past like that can become a great Catholic, be forgiven of all of his sins, and please God one day go to heaven. 
Uh, now, I think Zach King says something like, you can't sell your soul to Satan because Satan can't properly own it. Something like that. I guess he can own it in hell, but if you die in mortal sin. But on earth, even if you did write out something horrible like that, I think all you have to do after such a bad sin, um, if you had recourse to the devil, as, the, as Pope St. Pius X said today, you just need a good confession and then receive absolution. And yeah, maybe do some extra penance afterwards, maybe even heavy penance afterwards, sure. But don't doubt that you're forgiven, even if you did something where you had recourse to the devil. Don't try it. Don't presume on God's mercy, because you may not make it to confession before you die. Um, also, if you do something like that and you go to confession, maybe in the confessional right before, write out that your life is God's again. Uh, God knows that as soon as you go to confession and he absolves you, but maybe write it out and then give it to the priest in the confessional. Maybe talk to him beforehand or just even in the confessional. Reconsecrate your life to the Blessed Trinity through the hands of Mary Immaculate. Now, the most common question I get on the podcast I did with this ex-Satanic wizard, Zachary King, the, the question at least a couple people have asked me who've doubted his story is, well, how did he have all this money as a wizard in Florida, but then had this conversion working at a piercing pagoda in New England? Well, if he's this multimillionaire, why in the world is he working at a piercing pagoda in New England? Well, he didn't explain that too well on my podcast, but he explains it very well on his website. I'll link that on my on my show notes. But I'm going to read you directly from his website his answer to this. And notice it's the timeline. There was actually ten about 10 years in between these two events. Again, I'll admit he didn't explain it super well on my podcast, but let any of your doubts be allayed by this. He says, At times when I was a high wizard, I did have 12 cars in a big house. But none of it was mine. It was an illusion created by Satan to make me look and feel wealthy. Critics also leave out that I left organized Satanism in 1999, trying to escape into Canada twice and failing, living off the grid for a couple years, still practicing magic though and trying to escape my past. By the time I was given a miraculous medal, it was 2008. I did not get to leave Satanism with all of the money that wasn't really mine. I left my house and 12 cars behind and all my fine clothes were left in the closet. By the time I was a manager in a piercing pagoda, I was poor and needed that job, end quote. So again, I'll link that in the show notes, but that shows you that there was 10 years between all the money as High Wizard and then 10 years later in the Piercing Pagoda, still doing kind of low-level magic. Um, and I think he said he just didn't think he could be forgiven. But the lady gave him a miraculous medal. He saw where his soul was going, which was hell. And he immediately saw the power of God and he immediately saw there's only one true faith. It's the Catholic faith. And he even told me he never really looked back. Um, after that, he entirely gave his life to God. I'm sure there were some speed bumps along the way. But faith-wise, uh, he never doubted again that the Catholic faith was the one true faith. Um, so I still think his story is authentic and it shows the mercy of God. Number 17, is it lawful to put questions to speaking or writing tables or in any way to consult the souls of the dead by means of spiritism? The Pope answers, all the practices of spiritism are unlawful because they are superstitious and often they are not free from diabolical intervention and hence they are rightly condemned by the church. Okay, you know, calling on people who are dead, that's as old as the Old Testament, maybe even older. Remember Saul, he uses the witch of Endor to rouse up Samuel from the dead and it works, but it, it ends up making Saul lose his entire kingdom because the dead Samuel has a lot to rebuke him with in 1 Samuel 28. 
Samuel says, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom of, out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so that right there is Saul's punishment in 1 Samuel 28 for having a seance. Now, listen closely. I think most of the families out there know you should not do seances, but I also want to caution you. Caution you, Please never do those spooky overnight slumber party games. I actually had a list of them here that I was going to give you, and then I realized I don't want to put this out on a podcast and have people Google that. But I am going to say this again. Please, teens, and parents don't let your teens do this, or kids, don't let them do those spooky overnight slumber party games. Just realize if you're doing something magical and you have this gut instinct that a priest, a traditional priest wouldn't approve of it, well, you're probably right. You probably are opening a door to the devil in your heart or mind. And those are very, very hard to close. So this isn't just me being stuffy and ruining people's fun. Um, these will open doors. And I took a lot of heat, but I'm going to stick by this. Um, Harry Potter opens doors in your kids' hearts and minds. It's very hard to close. Every exorcist alive today except for one, uh, and apparently he's not worth his salt according to an exorcist I know, they all say the same thing about Harry Potter. Don't do it. Please stay away from that. Please stay away from magic games. Because here's the thing. Remember, every spiritual action is either interacting with angels or demons. There's no gray zone for spirits. So as Pope St. Pius X said today, become friends with the saints and the angels. That's what the spiritual life is about. Second to worshiping God, of course. And really, the, the angels, this is going to sound really corny, like I'm very old, but a life with the saints and the angels is more full and it's even more exciting that way. As the Pope wrote today, Jesus Christ is our mediator with God because being true God and true man, he alone, in virtue of his own merits, has reconciled us to God and obtains us all graces. But in virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ and through the charity which unites them to God and us, the Blessed Virgin and the saints help us by their intercession to obtain the graces we ask. And this is one of the great benefits of the communion of saints. And I'll close with this quote. He says, Between the honor we give to God and the honor we give to the saints, there is this difference, that we adore God because of his infinite excellence, whereas we do not adore the saints, but honor and venerate them as God's friends and our intercessors with him. Please say an hour, Father, for me, et benedictio deum nipotentis. Pacis fili et spiritus sancti descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.